We are working our way through the book of Acts. If you're a guest today, uh, we're, we're going to be picking up in just a minute. In chapter 3, we've been in chapters 1 and 2 for a little bit. And here's a real quick overview. The book of Acts is really kind of the gospel of Luke part 2. Uh, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. That's why it's called that. And then he picked up the story at the resurrection of Jesus there's this this window of time where Jesus appears to a bunch of people after his resurrection from the dead. He tells them a moment's coming when the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, is going to be poured out on humankind. And then this thing's going to launch that we now call church. And in that window of time, there's about 40 days where Jesus spends time with his followers and with really large crowds, hundreds of people at a time. And then he ascends to heaven. And they do exactly what he told them to do. They wait on this promise of the Holy Spirit. Ten days later, there's this festival where people have come into town from all around to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Uh, We call this Pentecost. It's been 50 days since Passover. And all these people come together. And that moment finally happens, which is Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God pours out. and, And Peter gets up and this amazing thing happens. He begins to speak in his language. But these people from all over hear this story, the story of Jesus, in their own language. And about 3,000 people are like, hey, I want to follow Jesus. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And so we've had this, this 50-day window, and then we have this really big day. And then last week, we, got, we looked at the end of Acts chapter 2, which kind of summarizes the next little season of life where this thing called church is becoming church. And then we zero back in on a day or two, a couple days events in Acts chapters 3 and 4. And i got to be honest with you, this is my favorite portion of the book of Acts. And one of my favorite portions in the whole Bible is Acts 3 and 4. So in these moments where we're looking big picture and then we're zooming in on an event and we're looking big picture, the couple days worth of events in these next couple chapters are incredible. And specifically, we're going to be in chapter 3 for the next two weeks. There's, there's two things we see in Acts chapter 3. And then there's a third idea that I think applies to every passage of Scripture. There's what happened, and there's what are we supposed to do in response to that, to what we just read. Every time we read a text, there's what's our response to this. And so what we're going to see in Acts chapter 3 is first there's a miracle One of the things we talked about last week is it says many signs and wonders God did through the apostles. This is the first one. There's 14 of them recorded in the story of Acts that we'll get to over the next couple months. This is the first one. And so there's the miracle, but then Peter's going to get up and he's going to address a crowd again. So there's the miracle and then there's the message. And then what is our response to that? It's our mission on planet Earth. It's why we get up in the morning, is seeing a difference made in people's lives. And so we're going to look at the miracle, we're going to look at the message, we're going to look at the mission. Next week, we're actually going to focus on the miracle, which is verses 1 through 10. We're going to read it this morning for context, but we're going to come back next week and really zero in on the miracle. We want to focus on the message more this morning, the second half of the text. But I invite you to grab your Bible this morning before we jump in. Uh, for our guests, we have a creed we say here before we jump into the Bible. And uh, if that's not where you're at in your spiritual journey, don't feel obligation to lie in church today. That's not our goal. Uh, we want you to feel comfortable. Um, and so if this is where you're at in your journey, though, we invite you to hold up your Bible. If you don't have one, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible... 
Let that be our gift to you today. Um, But we invite you, let's hold them up together and let's declare this with some confidence this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we're going to work our way through this whole chapter uh, pretty quickly this morning. There's a couple uh, parts that we'll slow down and really park on for a minute. But verse number 1 says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. This would have been common for a Jewish person to do uh, three times every day. Uh, They're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour, which would have been 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You remember we talked about um, uh, in... uh, I guess three weeks ago, we talked about uh, the early in the day. We we talked about the the third hour. We said that would have been 9 o'clock, right? And we talked about James of Buffett, that he would have said it's 9 o'clock somewhere because they were being accused of being drunk already in the morning, right? So now it's 3 o'clock somewhere, and they're going up to the hour of prayer. Verse 2, a man lame from birth. Uh, He's unable to walk, unable to move his legs, we find out. By the way, from birth, and we find out in chapter 4, this guy's in his 40s. He's over 40 years old and has never taken a step in his life, right? Lame from birth. He was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate. And the reason they carried him and laid him there is to ask alms of those entering the temple. That was common. There was no social security system. There was no disability benefits in this system. The way that, that it worked in this culture and in this time is they hoped that people who believed in God would have compassionate hearts to those who were not able to take care of themselves. And so being uh, unable to walk, he was unable to work in the fields or to, to produce any kind of means to take care of himself. And so thank God for people who loved him enough to carry him every day. And place him at this place where he would just say, I need some help. I need, I need food. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Verse number 4, Peter did something that I confess I seldom do when somebody asks me for money. He directed his gaze at him. I'll be honest, far too often when I see somebody... At a red light, maybe holding a sign, I work to not make eye contact because maybe I'll feel guilty if I drive by. I confess that. But Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at me. I'm the captain now. Verse 5, and he fixed his attention on them. Because you got to figure a lot of people probably walked by and did not look at him, let alone say, hey, look back. So they've very much got this guy's attention. Expecting to receive something from them. He's about to receive something, but not from them. Woo. Thank you, Jesus. Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ 
of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Whoo! Mic drop. He didn't have a mic. He didn't have silver and gold. How could he pay for a sound system? Okay. He took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately. Hello? Like, not eventually. (laughs) Immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Okay, so we just had some of these little babies up here, right? And some of them are walking and some aren't. There's just about nothing more terrifying than walking, uh, watching a new walker walk towards the coffee table's corner and you're like, no, right? There's just nothing, like everybody thinks it's cute unless you're one of those people who's like, this is a lawsuit waiting to happen, you know? Like every time I see a parent letting their kid walk in our parking lot here, I'm like, no, do that at home with carpet. Please don't do that here. Because, man, they're wobbly, right? Not this guy. He's never walked. In over 40 years, he's never taken a step. And immediately, Home Slice is doing the river dance. In the temple. You thought I was actually going to dance, didn't you? That's not happening. That's not happening. If we stop streaming for a minute, maybe. He's late. Like, this is the first interpretive dance in worship, right? As he's praising God and leaping through the temple, which would have been weird. Just in case you didn't know that. There's not a lot of leaping that took place in the typical Jewish worship. Kind of like here. (laughs) Right? It's pretty stoic, man. Right? We love Jesus. We just don't get all crazy about it, right? This dude's leaping. It's incredible. Immediately. And verse number nine. Verse number, yeah, nine. Sorry. (laughs) My contact is really dry. Um, And (laughs) all the people who saw him walking, which let's be honest, that's not what got their attention. Dude's leaping. And praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple for 40 years. Asking for alms. And, of course, what other response could there be? They were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Yeah. That's the miracle. We transition to the message. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John. He's like all over them. Right? Which wouldn't you? Be like, I don't know where they're going, but I'm going with them. Right? All the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So this one guy's making a scene, and really quickly word starts to spread. I wish, man, I wish we could see this moment, right? Because people have been talking. There's a whole lot of people who've only heard stories of this guy who raised the dead and 
and did these amazing things. But before last Passover, he was executed. But the word on the street is, he got back up from execution. That's newsworthy. That's worth chatting about, right? Like that, that's worth going viral. And they had probably already heard stories because we don't know how much time has passed between Pentecost and this day. But if thousands of people heard someone speaking in another language, but they understood it in their own language, they're probably going to talk about that. Right? Nowadays, we're always looking for the headliner. So this, that, that used to, to spread through word of mouth. People told other people fascinating things. So clearly this is being talked about. And now they find out that guy, we don't know his name, Lane Bob just got up and started dancing. He's leaping. He's doing a pirouette in the temple. Quick, come see what's up. They come to the portico called Solomon's. It's Solomon's porch. And for those of us who are proud East Side Fort Worth folks, the Solomon's Porch is on the east side of the temple complex. How cool is that, right? And it ran the whole length of the temple complex. It was ginormous. Thousands of people would frequently gather at Solomon's Porch east side and would hear uh, dramatic acts or songs or poetry read or have these big teachings Jesus himself had taught before at Solomon's porch. And Peter sees this huge group of people gathered. Verse 12, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Because here's the deal. We talked last week about the importance of text-driven, Christ-centered preaching and teaching. And I believe every person who's ever lived needs text-driven Christ-centered preaching and teaching in order to make sense of the experiences that we experience. They just experience something, and they're like, somebody make sense of this. And so Peter addressed the people. Don't you notice how he addresses them? Men of Israel. He's appealing to them as fellow Jewish men and women. And I love his response here, y'all. Why do you wonder at this? Because he couldn't walk. (laughs) Right? It's kind of a funny question. Why do you wonder at this? And then more specifically, or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. It's not about us. I love that the first thing Peter does... When he performs his first miracle full of the Holy Spirit is say, this is not about me. Don't look at me. How do you know that a person's really got special healing gifting from the Holy Spirit? Here's how they don't make much of themselves. Peter did not say, please put up a billboard with my face on it. And tell people to come to my event and give me money for my new Bentley and private jet. He said, this isn't about me. Well, right? Like, how can I tell if this is legit or not? I just don't know. Here's how we can tell. Is the person who's claiming to have special power from God 
making much of themselves or making much of Jesus. Because the first thing Peter did, like before he talked about anything else, he went, ah, is not about me? Don't look at me. I think he probably was surprised that the dude got up and walked. Why? Why are you surprised? We're not. <laughs> like, he hadn't done this before. I don't know. I'm, that's not in the text. That's just, I made that up. Verse 13. The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. Interesting here, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, we've talked over and over again in the last few weeks about speaking Jesus in the language and in the accent of every person on planet Earth. To talk about the covenantal name of God to a Jewish audience shows that knowing who you're talking to and talking to them in a way that makes sense to them is central to the story of Jesus. Like from the very beginning, he knows who he's talking to. And he's using this incredible uh, biblical language, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he talks about the servant, Jesus, which most of us read and we're like, yeah, he was a servant. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. He said that. Yep, got it, whatever. But here's the deal. One of the most important prophecies ever spoken about the Messiah who would come in the Old Testament that every one of these Jewish listeners would have heard people talk about and teach about since they were children. There's a section of teaching from the prophet Isaiah that at this time would have been in the scrolls of Isaiah that are called the servant songs or maybe the suffering servant songs. They knew that the Messiah was going to somehow be called a servant, although they didn't understand that because they also thought he was going to be a conquering king. So it was a very confusing part of the prophecy of Jesus, or the prophecy of the Christ. And here Peter's going, that's Jesus. He's the promised one. That's a reference. It's in uh, Isaiah 42, Isaiah uh, 50, the end of Isaiah 52, and all of Isaiah 53 of the servant songs. And when he said the servant Jesus, you... Betrayed. You turned him over to Pilate. They were like, what? He thinks he's the Messiah? So he's speaking in a language that they would understand here. Verse 14. And this, I'm going to park here for a minute because, oh. You denied the holy and righteous one. Not one of many. Not a Holy and righteous one. He calls Jesus here the holy and righteous one. And that changes everything. On Friday, I spoke at the funeral of a family member of one of our church members. And there's this tendency at a funeral that we want to speak so well of the deceased that if we're not careful will make it sound like they were so good, surely they deserve to have earned their way into heaven. But the fact is, there's only one 
who's truly holy. There's only one who's truly righteous. And all the rest of us who aren't that one can't be holy enough or righteous enough to be like God. Because you might be the most holy person you know, but maybe you just don't know that many people. You might be as righteous as you know how to be. But if we're not perfect, then we've not earned our way into the presence of God. That's bad news if I'm dependent on me to be holy and righteous. Because I'm not. On my best day, I might have moments of holiness, moments of righteousness, but even in those moments, there's doubt in it. There's one. And here's why that matters. Because that one willingly laid down his life for all of our unholiness and all of our unrighteousness, and because he raised himself up again, when I trust him, when I have faith in him, his righteousness becomes mine. His holiness becomes mine. And one day, I believe every one of us will stand before the throne of a holy and righteous God. And he will either say, your holiness isn't that holy. Your righteousness isn't that righteous. Or what I believe with everything in my soul, he will undeservedly say to me, man, you look just like my kid. You look like Jesus. You look as holy and as righteous as Jesus. And I'd be like, I don't know what kind of Jesus goggles he's wearing, but thank goodness he's wearing them. The Apostle Paul explained this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, he, God the Father, made Jesus, God the Son, to become sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. When we're in Jesus, the holy and righteous one, we are off the hook of pretending to be him. And the reason that's so important to say is every single religion in the world tells us how to be holy enough or righteous enough to save ourselves, And it's only the story of Christianity that says, stop playing that game. You can't win it. Let me win for you. It's finished. He alone is the holy and righteous one. One pastor said, Jesus is our report card. How you doing, Jesus? He speaks on my behalf. He's the holy and righteous one. And then I want you to notice the the rest of verse 14 and, and verse 15. Notice this dance back and forth between the concept of life and death. He said, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, because that's the story the author writes. Life. And by the way, we saw it ourselves. <laughs> to this, we are witnesses. I love this tension. You asked for a murderer, and then you know what you did? Murder. But guess what? Jokes on us. The one we murdered is the author of life. <laughs> 
Which means the story doesn't have to end there. That word author in the Greek language is the word archegon, where we get the word architect. (laughs) Our God is the designer of life. He can't help it. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. It's his character and nature is he is the life giver. And so when we executed him, guess what he did? He architected some life. (laughs) He got it from the dead. Amen. And in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of y'all. Verse 17, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. You didn't mean to kill the Son of God. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, as also did your rulers. But check this out. This is an important part of his little response to the miracle here. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that this Christ would suffer... He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. We're going to circle back to those three verses in just a minute. But I want to get to the end first. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Again, speaking Jesus in the language and in the culture and in the context which with they can understand it. Every single Jewish person under the sound of Peter's voice would have known that this is one of the most important prophecies about the coming Messiah because it came from Moses himself in Deuteronomy chapter 18 again and again and again. The Jewish teaching of the prophecy of the Messiah came back to this prophecy. Peter's quoting one that every single one of them, even the kids in the room would have been like, Oh, he's talking about the Messiah. He's claiming that Jesus is the Savior of the world. There's no question here. And all the prophets who've spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You're the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I'm only going to park here for a couple minutes, but this has got to be said. The covenant promise of God to Abraham. From you, I will make a great nation. And through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That covenant, that promise is what made the Jewish people who they were. DNA, identity kind of language. 
And here's the glorious thing for everyone in the room who isn't Jewish today. Peter's whispering that in Jesus, there's hope for this promise to expand. For everybody who repents and believes in him, the promise that our families can be blessed and the families of the world can be blessed through us. That's really great news on a day that some families just dedicated themselves to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Abrahamic covenant promise of God is available to all of us who place our faith in Jesus today. I think that's really good news. God, here again, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Which turns us back to the heart of this that we kind of skimmed over. For just a couple minutes, I want you to go back to verses 19, 20, and 21 with me. And this is how we're going to end our time together. Because this is the response. The miracle is incredible. The, the message is text-driven and centered on Jesus. Okay, so what do we do? Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So to repent is to turn back. This text is a little bit redundant. To repent is to say, I've been living this direction of life, unholy and unrighteous. But Jesus says, if I'll trust him, he'll give me the standing of his holiness and righteousness. Okay, Jesus, I'm turning to you. And as we turn to him in faith, you know what he does? He makes us more holy and righteous from the inside out. And and when we turn to him, it says that our sins can be blotted out. Now, I want you to hang with me for a second. There's something so interesting to me. I, I have conversations every week with people of significant age difference. Sometimes I'm talking to people who are a lot older than me. And sometimes I'm talking to people who are a lot younger than me. It's the reality of being a middle-aged guy. It is so interesting because when I'm having a conversation with somebody younger than me and I say something that they think is worth remembering, they'll pull out their phone and maybe make a note or text me what I just said so that they have a record of it. But if I'm talking to somebody a lot older than me, they'll pull out a little flower-covered journal from their purse and say, do you have a pen? (laughs) Here, write it down. That was my Kathy Wrench voice. That was. Do you have a pen? That was not even on purpose. Um. This picture that's being painted of sins being blotted out. There was no digital resource to take notes or send messages in the times of Jesus, if you didn't know that. And so when you would write something, you wouldn't write on paper. Paper did not exist yet in civilization. They might use parchment or more likely animal skins, which were very expensive. 
as someone who is spelling challenged, to mess up your message was a big deal. You didn't crinkle it up and start over again. So in this time in history, the practice was that you used an acid-free ink that was kind of what we would consider a washable marker. And if you made a mistake, you would blot it out and start over again. If you finished using it for its purpose, you didn't throw it away. You would blot it out and have a clean slate. And the glorious truth today for any of us who are carrying regrets that we've done or that have been done to us, when we turn to Jesus, a great blotting out happens of all of our brokenness. And he offers to us this beautiful clean slate that says you are now a new creation in Jesus Christ. When we turn to Him, we're not defined by the direction we used to go. We're not defined by our past failures, by our past regrets, by our past wounds, by our past bondage to sin. We're not defined by any of that. When we turn to Jesus, He wipes the slate clean in His grace. And I believe that there's two different kinds of repenting. There's an initial repenting. There's a day where we say, I'm not going to live for me anymore. Jesus, I turn to you and ask you to save me from myself. John would say that's called being born again. Blotted out, new beginning. But then there's this ongoing pattern of repentance in normal life. Because unfortunately, what does not happen when we turn and go, Jesus, I'll follow you. None of us go, and I'm perfect now. Look at me. Right? Matter of fact, if we do, you need to repent of your arrogance and self-deception. <laughs> Just ask your spouse. That turning, there's an initial turning, but then there's the daily habit, the daily discipline of going, God, I got to come back to your word and I got to come back to your truth because I continue to default to me. I can continue to, to default to my wants and my will and my wishes and my way, but I trust you. Again, I turn back to you because you have proven yourself faithful and good and worth it. I turn to you again today. And for some of us, that's a every five minute practice. For some of us, we do that when we get up in the morning and then we have to do it again when we get cut off in traffic. This pattern of repentance that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Anybody this morning Say, I could just use a season of refreshing. I don't think that's found in a change of circumstance or a career change or a spouse change or a body change or a money change. Times of refreshing come from the presence of God that is as available to you today as the air you're breathing in this room. I believe times of refreshing that we desperately need are as available 
as we will choose to turn to him. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord because we will continue to walk through shadows. Then he says this, and that he may send the Christ. What do you mean, Peter? He already sent him. He just left. Oh, he's coming back. (laughs) So I continue this pattern of turning back. God, I turn back to you again. God, I turn back to you again. And every time I do, I'm refreshed. And my hope is restored that there is a day coming where no one will ever lay lame at the gate of the temple ever again. Every bit of brokenness will finally be healed. Every bit of sorrow will finally be healed. Every bit of fear, every bit of heartbreak, every bit of struggle will finally be healed. And when we turn to him, hope in that great day is restored yet again. That's what's available. If we'll just turn our attention to him. Not even focused on the good stuff he's done. Right? Like Peter's saying, don't look at the guy who's dancing Look at the one who's the healer. Look to the giver of the gift. We wait for our healing. A few weeks ago, right before the service started, Brett Faulkner came to me as his father was, his health was very quickly failing on hospice care. He said, hey, I need to talk to you later. And I said, absolutely. Let me know when you need to talk. And he said, okay, I need to talk right now. I said, okay. He said, I don't know how to pray for my dad. He said, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for his healing. But everybody and everything is telling us that his time is coming to an end. So it feels foolish and maybe even selfish to pray for his healing. I don't know how to pray for my dad. He's walked with Jesus all these years. He's at peace with the Lord. He's ready to see his Savior. How do I pray for him? And I said, Brett, I think you're praying just the right way. We always pray for healing. That's the hope of those of us who believe in the resurrection is we believe praying for healing is always praying in accordance with the will of God. His healing might not come in this life. It might not come in the way that we want. But for all who are in Jesus, we believe healing's coming. There's no sad endings for the followers of Jesus. All of our stories will end the same way. We will leap in the presence of God and praise Him. But I've never walked before. Your day's coming. Man, other people have to carry me to get me through life. That's temporary. But I've been asking for the same thing every day for 40 years. Healings coming on the authority of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Healings coming. So what do we do in the meantime? 
What do we do? We speak Jesus. First and foremost, to our own hearts. We speak Jesus to our own weary hearts. I don't know what healing you need today. I don't, there's a lot of faces who are guests today, so I don't know your story. I don't know your background. I don't know what you're walking through. Your fears might be today or maybe what you're celebrating today. But I know a lot of our stories in this room, and many of us would say, there are some lame areas of my life where I'm desperate for healing. Here's my encouragement to you this morning. My encouragement is for you to pray this simple prayer. Jesus, fix what I can't. Now, I'd encourage you not to tell him when or how, because that just seldom works out well. Jesus, over whatever brokenness you're facing today, Jesus. And that begins with the first turn of repentance. Jesus, heal my soul and make me alive again.